0: Join today's discussion and engage with producers on the Ave Maria Radio Facebook and Twitter accounts at Ave Maria Radio. Respond to interviews and learn who's coming up on Crest in the Afternoon, Catholic Connection, and other Ave Maria Radio programs. Make it easier by downloading the Ave Maria app on your smart devices. Then just tap on the Facebook and Twitter icons to get plugged in on the things that matter most. That's the Ave Maria Radio app or at Ave Maria Radio. Build the church. Bless the nations. Knowing Jesus
1: is the best gift that any person can receive. That we've encountered him is the best thing that's happened in our lives, and making him known by our word and deeds is our greatest joy. If you're hungry for that encounter, if you're dying to know the love of God, which alone makes sense out of life, if you're longing to know that you matter so much, and that his power can fill you with all that you need so that you can be the man or the woman that you want to be, then join me and dig into the scriptures and the teachings of the church so that we can find the life that Jesus has made us for.
0: Ave Maria Radio presents Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29 which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. Father Ricardo spoke to an ID 916 community in Ann Arbor, Michigan. These are men and women in their 20s and 30s, married and single, who are becoming intentional disciples of Jesus. But first, to open this edition, here is Pete Burak who heads up the ID 916 program nationally to tell us why ID 916 exists.
2: I am very excited for tonight. I've had it circled on the calendar for a while now because the Lord is doing a lot with ID 916. And over the next several months, it's going to be my great privilege to roll out some new things that we're going to be doing to grow our mission and just kind of dive into what does it mean to be an intentional disciple. So for the next several months, I'm going to get up here and just give a little bit of a vision cast. So ID 916, why do we exist? We exist to help young adults, all of you, 20s, 30s, married, single, with or without kids, become intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about this and we've laid out the four pillars of conversion, communion, orthodoxy, and mission, and we've broken them open now for multiple years. And I think if you look around the room and you think about how many people are watching live, you see that there's a hunger for this and that discipleship works. When we submit to the Master and we submit to growing together, Lives change, and we meet the Lord, and we fall in love with Him, and we begin to walk with Him. But there's another step that I feel like He's revealing to us. There's another level that we as a community need to sink our teeth into and just say yes to. And it's this. What are we called to as an intentional disciple? We're called to grow and go, right? We're called to grow in holiness personally. That's one of the fundamental calls, the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're called to grow. We're also called to go, go make disciples, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. And so we've talked about that and we've laid that before you, but now we feel like the Lord's saying, okay, what are the practical things that an intentional disciple does? What do we actually do to make growing and going a reality? What are the priorities in our life, the commitments in our life, the structures in our life that actually help a disciple meet Jesus, follow Jesus, fall in love with him, and then repeat that process with someone else? to grow and go. And so we're calling it the ID way of life. What does an intentional disciple do every day, every week, every month, every year? What are the regular priorities in the life of an intentional disciple? And so we've been praying about this. We've been researching it. We've just been sitting with the Lord and saying, Lord, what are those practical things we can actually give to a young adult and say, if you do these things, if you dive into these things, you will grow and you'll go as well. And so the foundation for the theology behind it is from Acts, Acts of the Apostles. The church was really born then and really learned how to grow and go in those early years. So thinking about Pentecost, the disciples are gathered in a room, the Holy Spirit falls, their lives are transformed, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they bust out of the doors of the room. Peter, who was afraid not too long ago, who actually denied the Lord three times, stands up, gives probably the best homily, the best sermon ever. He spits fire 3,000 people are converted, and now they're like, well, now what do we do? He said, go make disciples of all nations, wait till the power of the Spirit comes. They did, and now you have this small, growing church, and it's like, well, what do we do? So what did they do? They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers, and they shared everything in common, and they preached the good news. That's the formula. They were intentional disciples. So these are the things we're going to commit to, to make that a reality in our life. Not only are we going to provide Disciples Night content, not only are we going to provide
0: discipleship group
2: content, but we're going to actually lay out in a very practical way the way of
0: life of an intentional disciple. The ID stands for Intentional Disciples. The 916 refers to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now here is Father John Ricardo with his ID 916 talk and the question and answer period that followed.
1: Evening, everybody. This happens a lot. I hate this when this happens, actually. Wrestling right now with God. So I find the fact that you don't know what pillar I'm talking on to be confirmation of what I'm wrestling with. (laughs) So here's my talk. (laughs) Just talking about this, like from the door to right before he started talking about what he was about to do. And I just shared with him something very similar about what I feel like the Lord's been saying over and over again to me. So I think we'd better pray that we'll just be attentive to what the Lord wants to do because I think he's got a different plan in mind, and that's really frustrating. <laughs> and then maybe it's just going to allow for tons of questions because I think that's what we need most. Practical ways that we can respond to what it is that I think the Lord wants to say to us tonight. We'll find out whether or not this is true by how this is about to go. So let's pray. And it might look like I'm lost when I'm about to do this, but I'm not. I was at Holy Trinity Brompton in uh, London, which is the place where Alpha comes from, about Two years ago now, we went out for the leadership conference. So we're in Royal Albert Hall. Royal Albert Hall, if you know anything about music, you know, is like the concert venue for everything in the history of music, you know. So we're there. There's like 8,000 people there. It's just this extraordinary time. The worship was off the chart. The only thing that was missing was Jesus and the Eucharist. <laughs> so it was a lot missing, you know, but still, it was pretty good. It was the last night, and the keynote speaker gets up. The place is packed, and they're doing a remote cast, you know, to a couple of those satellite locations, and it's all over the world. There's, I don't know, like 40 countries, I think, that were logged in. And the guy gets up. He's on the front of the stage of Royal Albert Hall, and he just walks out, and for three minutes, he does this. So imagine you got all these eyes on you. At times, his eyes close, and then at times, he's looking at all the people who are there. And sporadically, you'd hear somebody shout out, you know, like, something from Scripture or, you know, like, we love you or, you know, whatever, right? And he'd just go, shh, 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 let's just wait, let's just wait. And he would pray silently. And then finally, he just launches into this teaching, which was off the chart. And I watched him do this, and I thought, "Uh, I don't think we want a new Pentecost, because I don't think we know what to do with what he just did. I mean, we're Catholic, right? So at least most of us are. So this is what we do. We begin. We say a prayer. We do all these things. We have a formula, and we follow the formula. We prepare a talk. We read the notes. We give the talk. We take a couple minutes for Q&A. We go. (laughs) Hey, hope that was a good night, right? (laughs) Peter didn't have any notes in Acts 2. Peter just was compelled by the Spirit to go out and speak. And the fruit of that was 3,000 people were baptized. And we pray over and over and over again for new evangelization and a new Pentecost. But the new Pentecost means this. The new Pentecost means we have to be willing to step out without knowing where we're going or what we're about to do, which is kind of where I am right now, okay? <laughs> but we've got to trust that the Lord has something he wants to say and he wants to do. So let's pray. Let's just really ask the Spirit to come and be with us tonight. Tonight's focus was and will be still on Our Lady as the perfect disciple. Let's just, in our own hearts right now, just ask Our Lady, who's assumed bodily into heaven, who right now, with her human eyes, redeemed and transfigured and glorified, beholds the face of our Lord, to pray for us that we would hear whatever it is that her Son and our Lord wants to say to us tonight. Father, there isn't a single one of us who's here tonight by chance, any more than there's a single one of us who exists by chance. We exist because you called us into being and you called us into being because your desire is for us to come to you and to know you and to know your son and to understand the depth of the love that you have for us, which he has so elaborately and lavishly demonstrated by his total gift of self on the cross. So Lord we acknowledge, we confess, we declare, we believe that we're here because you have invited us here. And you've invited us here because you have something that you wish to say to us, to each of us, not to us as a group, but to each of us by name, because you don't see a crowd, you don't see a group. You see your sons and daughters. Each one whom you know far more intimately even than we know ourselves, for you know every hair on our heads, you know all our thoughts, you know our facades. You know where it is that we're crying out. You know what we're struggling with. You know where we're wrestling with you. So, Father, we thank you in advance for whatever it is you wish to do in each of us here tonight. We want to be all in. Lord, the time for being mediocre, the times for being lukewarm, the time for being half-hearted. There never was a time, but it's certainly over now. You never asked for half our hearts. You never asked for an hour a week. You never asked for even an hour a day in prayer. You don't ask for 10%. You ask for everything. You want it all. Not because you're a tyrant, but because you know, because you've made us, that it's only by giving all that we will ever find joy. And so, Father, we're afraid because we don't like to give all. We don't like commitment. This age group particularly does not like commitment, Father. We like options. Help us to know in a way that only your spirit can communicate that the only real choice in front of us tonight is whether we will follow or not. And if we say yes, then following means everything. And the reward is beyond anything we can imagine. Father, we ask for the inspiration and the intercession of St. Francis Xavier, a wealthy man a man with a bright future in the world's eyes, who abandoned everything that the world says is meaningful, to follow an itinerant carpenter who never wrote a book, whose one desire was to tell everyone that he met, wherever he went, all throughout the world, at a time when it was so inconvenient to travel, that there is no salvation in any name other than Jesus, that there is no hope in any name other than Jesus. Father, we're inspired by people who make radical decisions, people who show us what the human person's capable of, people who are generous, who give it all, who show us what we can do. So help us by his prayers, and above all by the prayers of Mary, who said to you through the Archangel Gabriel, whatever you want to do, I'm yours. Mother Mary, we ask you to pray for us right now that we would be able to say those same words whatever you want to do in my life lord i'm yours take my mind take my heart take my body take my will take all my plans give me only yours lord father there might be many francis saviors in this room maybe they won't go to china maybe they won't go to japan maybe they won't go to india they might go to sterling heights they might go to royal oak They might go to Ann Arbor. They might go to Ypsilanti. They might go to those places in the world which most need to know you. Here we are, Lord, send us into a world that is going mad. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anybody here leave the church when they were young? Why? If I can put you on the spot. Why'd you leave? It felt dead. How so? It felt unconnected and unresponsive. Okay. Kind of like pious platitudes being offered and simplistic solutions offered to life's real challenges. Maybe, it wasn't little connection. It wasn't. So maybe a question of relevance and things like that. Okay. What'd you leave?
3: Lack of community. I felt more involved in uh, Protestant churches.
1: Okay. Lack of community. More involved in. Anybody just walk away from? I mean, the church, like big church, like everything. Like I just chucked it. It's not like I left the Catholic church and I went to you know. First Prez or something like that. I just went nowhere. Why'd you leave? I felt
0: like it was Sundays, and then that was
2: it. And I just felt no connections to my life outside of those four walls.
1: Okay, so it was just kind of a Sunday, nothing else, and little connection. Anybody else? Any guy? Leave. Why'd you leave?
3: corruption, uh, the priest abuse scandal, the ball of draw, like studying Bible directly. Other
1: churches. So, corruption and uh, just kind of scandalous behavior, of perhaps especially clergy and whatnot. Any other guy? Yeah.
3: My family stopped going to church, so it wasn't exactly my fault.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were seven and you couldn't drive?
3: <laughs>
1: Big wheel wouldn't get to church. Yeah, okay. So family stopped going? The reason why I ask that is, um, for some of you, this rings true. I mean, I know for my own life, I kind of left for two reasons which might seem like they're contradictory, but I don't think they are, and they're very relevant to what Peter was saying. And I think what they're trying to do in this, how do you of life? Three words, you'd think I could remember that, right? <laughs> way of life, grow and go. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Father, son, Holy Spirit, all right, good. I left for two reasons. One was, on one hand, I sensed that the only way to live this was radically, and it scared the living daylights out of me. On the other hand, I didn't see that lived, and so I was never challenged. So here's, I think, what the Lord wants to do tonight. This is what I hear the Lord saying over and over again to me right now about where we are in the world and what's going on with us in the church and to where you are right now, where I am right now. You may have noticed the world is going off the rails. No one's got a crystal ball here, right? No one can see what's coming. But the world is going off the rails, and who knows what's coming And when whatever comes, comes, maybe the Lord's going to come back, maybe Our Lady's going to appear, maybe we're going to have this massive conversion like Mexico went through, who knows. But if that doesn't happen, I don't think it's a stretch to think that it's about to get very difficult to live a Christian life. When that happens, the temptation's going to be cowardice. That's the temptation. Whoa, what do these people think of me? I love the children's sound effects. (laughs) Children are mimics. (laughs) It's going to get hard. And the reason I say that is because what we're going to need is we're going to need inspiring examples of others, especially peers, and perhaps people from a generation ahead of whatever generation that we're a part of, who can show us, hey, you can do this, and it's worth it. And so... What I hear the Lord saying to me over and over again right now is, and what I'm in one way or another trying to deliver to the parish where I get to serve, is, Mm -hmm. hey, it's time to grow up. The time for hand-holding is over. The time for, like, your toe in the water is done. The time for spiritual childhood, or childishness, I should say, is over. What the Lord wants is everything. What the Lord's asking for is everything everything. The box he wants us to check tonight is you can have my life. Here, it's yours. What we've got in the church, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, really doesn't matter right now. Because we've got a lot of lukewarmness. What I have in my life at times is a lot of lukewarmness. I can be cold in a lot of places in my will. I'm stunned, quite frankly, with how easily I can just push the Lord aside in my thoughts. It's just downright really humiliating, quite honestly. It's not like I don't know what I'm doing when I think certain things, but I just go, no, not right now. Come back to you later (laughs) because I know you're kind and merciful and a loving father. (laughs) So I'm good. You know, it's just alarming how easy that can happen with us. I just want to indulge in being really depressed, really dark, really frustrated, really angry, really whatever. I share that with you maybe just to, maybe you're scandalized by that, maybe you're helped by that, I don't know. But um, this is our lot. This is the human lot. I mean, we're all struggling with this all the time. And the Lord's continually asking me for more. And I think the Lord wants tonight to simply put a challenge in front of you and me and say, hey, what are you willing to give me? You're going to walk out of here going, hey, man, I went to an IE 916 meeting tonight. Great. The one who invited you to this is Him, and He invited us because He called you into existence. He called me into existence, and He called us into existence because He called us to come to Him because He and He alone can satisfy the desire that you have for life. Nothing else will work. And He's proven the love that He has for us by His total gift of self upon the cross, His surrender on our behalf on the cross. And therefore, he has an authority to speak to us and a credibility to speak to us like no one else can speak to us. Because he can say, look what I have done for you. Look what I have given to you. Understand who's talking to you, who's asking for everything. It's the one who gave everything. John says, Jesus loved them to the end. My most graphic image of Jesus on the cross is he's like a dried washcloth that has been wrung out and there is no fluid left in it. And you know how you find a washcloth that's just on the ground and it used to have a ton of water in it. And now it's just like hard and crusty. That's the Lord on the cross. There is no fluid in his body left. His blood has been poured out. The water that surrounds his heart, the last defense of the heart, That's what it is, the pericardium, huh? It's the heart's last defense. That's what was pierced when the soldier thrust the sword into his heart. Everything is on the ground. Everything. He's got nothing left to give because he's given it all. He's given everything for you and me. And he who's given everything for you and me is the one who's standing in front of us tonight. And he's not watering down the call. He is saying, I'm delighted you're here. He is saying it's great to be in your company. I'm proud of some of you for taking a step to come to something like this, that perhaps for whatever reason you got here tonight, maybe you finally responded to a friend's invitation who's been asking you for five months to come to ID 916, and you just happened to come to this one. (laughs) But he's proud of you. Don't misunderstand that. He's proud of the fact that you came. He's delighted that you've come. This might be the first encounter for some of you with him, but Matthew's first encounter with Jesus was come, leave the money. And follow me. And Matthew didn't go, uh, is there like a Bible study or something I can go to first? They kinda like, <laughs> can I get like the ID way of life and find out what's involved in all this before I make the decision? The Lord's like, no, the call is now. Ever seen the uh, calling of Matthew by Caravaggio? It's this famous painting. Look it up online. It's a great painting to pray in front of. I would suggest it's what's happening right now. Matthew's sitting at a table. It's kind of like one of these. I think there's three people at the table, and they're all playing cards or doing different things. Matthew's counting his money. And Jesus is standing in the doorway of the tavern, and he's pointing at Matthew like this. This in Italian is kind of like the qui. His gesture, Jesus' gesture, is exactly like the fingers of God in the Sistine Chapel as he's about to touch Adam. You might know this, but Adam is just dead in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It's not like he's just chilling. He's dead. It's the moment before God breathes life into him. He's been created, but he hasn't had the breath of life breathed into him. And so the fingers of the Lord and Adam are about to touch. The way one person puts it, it's like the plug's about to get plugged into the socket. And the Lord is the socket, and he's about to touch Adam. And Adam is about to spring into being. And that's the image of Matthew. Matthew's kind of lethargic. He's sitting at the table. And the Lord is sitting here like this. But there's an interesting detail in Caravaggio's painting. Jesus' feet are already heading out the door. So Jesus is pointing this way. But Jesus is leaving. It's as if to say, come now. I mean now. (laughs) All right? I'm out the door. (laughs) I want you now. But what about my family? No, now, you. What about my career? No, now. I want you, now. What about my future? All my plans, all the dreams that I have? Uh-uh. I want you, all of it, now. Because all those dreams that you have, they might be mine, they might be not. But until you know my dream for your life, you will never be happy. I know that. Why? I made you. Why should you trust me? I gave everything for you. How do I see that? Because here I am on the cross and there's nothing left to give. And the Lord is able to do this right now in front of each and every single one of us. Say, you, now. Katie. Dan. No, I have work to do. What's the work? I want my world back. That's the work. I made this world, and I love this world, and I want it back, and I want you to help me get it. That's not a, oh, will you just please come to Bible study once a month? (laughs) That's what turned me off to religion when I was young. You know, oh, just please, please come. You might like it. We have, like, pizza. (laughs) We do coloring. You got the left-handed scissors? (laughs) It was just such a total turnoff because it wasn't asking anything of me. And it wasn't until the Lord kind of busted into my life and simultaneously surrounded me with people who I saw living heroically that I went, okay, forget it. Like I don't want the mediocre Christianity, even though I stumble all the time. I don't want that. I don't want half-hearted or half whatever. I want all. I want you. You can have it all. That's all I want because I'm convinced, Lord, that no one can give me what you can give me and that no one cares for me like you care for me. So I don't know where you're going to take me. I don't know what you're going to do with my life. I gave him my life. I thought, I guess I'm going to be in Detroit for the rest of my life. Boom, I'm immediately moved overseas. So I had no idea what's going on with my life. I still don't know what's going to happen in my life. Join the priesthood, see the world. It's better than the Navy, you know. Isn't that true? You can go anywhere. You might even go to Plymouth. But the Lord, he's just saying, hey, because what keeps us from doing this is fear. Can you tell me what might happen? No. Oh. Am I going to die a violent death? Maybe. Uh, Am I going to get married? You don't need to know that. What am I going to do? You don't need to know any of that. You don't need to know the details in particulars. You just need to know I'm he, Jesus. I'm calling you now. And I'm calling you to a total surrender of your life. I'm calling you to maturity. I'm calling you to real discipleship to real friendship i'm calling you out of childishness one of the things that i'm increasingly aware of with people a lot of your age is they've rejected the faith because the faith that they were taught was childish it offered pat answers that did not resonate and did not make sense out of the world that we were living in they were offered simplistic solutions to very complex matters and so when life got tough and they heard what they heard from a religion-said teacher or a high school teacher or maybe a parent or whoever it was, or maybe a priest, whoever it was. And then they tried to gel that with what was going on and in reality. They just went, this is so phony. Because God hasn't promised us that he would just take care of everything. If by take care of everything, you understand that to mean, hey, just pray to me and everything is going to be fine. Did you guys see the story of the, um, the 21 or the 22 Coptic Christians who were beheaded a couple years ago? A year and a half ago now or so. Remember this story? It was all over. ISIS gets these guys all in orange jumpsuits, just like they always are. So the story goes out. There's, I think there was 21 Coptic Christians. You see the 21 or 22. There's one less than that. Some of you might know this story. It never went anywhere. And there was one who was not a Christian. He was Muslim. And for whatever reason, he's in the detainment center. He's getting tortured. He's going through whatever. And they lead them all out. These 21 Christians and this one Muslim. And they lead them out to the beach where they're about to behead them. And they're about to videotape it and put it on YouTube. And they start beheading all these Christians. And at a certain point, they get to the other one who's not a Christian, who is not from Egypt. And they give him the chance to renounce his faith or to profess whatever it is that they want him to profess in Islam. You know what he says? The man, I don't know how he did this. His hands are, you know, chained behind his back. He, like, nods his head and he says pointing to the guys who either just lost their heads or who are about to lose their heads. Their God is my God. He converted then, on the spot. Why? Because he saw their witness. What was their witness? Joy. Praying for the people who were killing him. Trust in the Lord, even in the midst of incredibly harsh situations. He saw guys who were all in, and he went, I don't know what you have, but I want that God. And that God is here tonight, and he's calling. Just like he called Matthew, just like he called Francis, just like he called Ignatius, just like he busted into this young girl's life named Mary. What are you going to say? Here's the rub. If you don't say yes, you will leave here frustrated. If you don't say yes, you will not find life. If you don't say yes, the desires that are in your heart will never ultimately get met because that's how he made you. God is not safe. As C.S. Lewis used to say all the time, he is a lion. Lions are not safe. (laughs) They devour people. And God wants to devour us in the best sense of the word. Christianity is just this massive paradox. You want life? How do I get it? Die. You want to be free? How do I find freedom? Surrender. That's the Christian paradox over and over and over again. I have to become a slave to Christ. Meaning what? I will be a living tool in his hand. He can do whatever he wants with me. And the people who do that, who live that way, are happier than anybody else in the world. No one is happier than a saint. Whether they're in a jail cell, whether they're in Auschwitz, whether they're married, living in suburbia, whether they're working as a physician, to surrender our life to the Lord, to the God who made everything that is, is the only pathway to real fulfillment. That's the either or in front of you and me right now. Everything in this culture is telling us, ah, oh, that's a bit extreme. That's just nonsense. The culture's wrong. It's just wrong. We know this deep within us. That's why we're restless. That's why you got here. That's why you decided to come. Because I know I want more. Who knows? Maybe it's even this. So I'll come. So Mary is the embodiment of this, right? Three quick things. Something about the Lord, something about Mary, and then something about us. So the Lord's whole existence, second person of the Trinity, his whole life is one of radical self-giving back to the Father. It's one of radical surrender. To see Jesus on the cross like this is simply to see with a bodily form how the Son of God has forever lived. Total gift of self. And the Son of God is not unhappy. He's not frustrated. He's not going, well, I wish I had a car. <laughs> I wish I had that car. He's trying to show us, this is how you find fulfillment. You give everything back. The perfect disciple, the perfect one who imitates that is Mary. There is no greater human person. Jesus is a divine person with a human nature. There's no greater human person that's ever lived. Why? Mary is the model, not because she's the mother of the Lord, but as St. Augustine used to say, because she already conceived the Lord in her mind long before she conceived him in her body. She is the one who most fully embodies what Jesus also embodies. So Hebrews 10 tells us, you know, Jesus says, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Lo, I have come to do your will. That's Jesus's whole existence. Father, I've come to do your will. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. That's Mary's life. It's embodied in Luke. But know this about Mary. This is important, I think, for us to get. Mary had plans of her own, just like us. They were really good plans. They were noble plans. They were generous plans. They were gracious plans. They were godly, heroic, total gift of self plans. They just weren't God's plan. How do we know that? Because Gabriel comes to Mary and says, I got news for you you're going to have a child. She's already engaged to be married. She's more than engaged. She's betrothed. They just don't live together. And Mary's response is what? Uh, how is this going to happen? Why does she say that? It's not just that she's never been with a man. The answer doesn't make much sense if it's I've just never been with a man because you're betrothed. Well, of course not. You guys don't live together yet, but you're about to live together. And so when you live together, you're going to have conjugal life and you're going to, that's how you're going to have a child. But Mary's already betrothed. She's about to move in with Joseph They just don't live together yet. What's Mary saying? Mary's saying is, uh, that's not our plan. Yeah, we're marrying, but I have given myself entirely to God. And I have no desire to live a conjugal life, even in the married life. That's the only way to make sense out of Mary's answer. Nothing else makes sense. So she simply says, uh, I don't think that can happen. Because we're not going to be like that. We have a different kind of marriage. This is the whole idea of Mary's presentation in the temple and of her being dedicated and consecrated to the Lord from a young age is that she had given her body to God from a young age and says, I will be all yours. There's a tradition in the early church that Joseph is so much older than Mary because Joseph is marrying her to protect her so that she can live this state of life. The oldest tradition about the brothers and sisters of Jesus is that they're Joseph's children from an earlier marriage from which his wife has now passed away. That's the oldest tradition. So Mary's got this great plan. And the Lord says, I'm really grateful for that. It's an awesome plan. It's really generous. It's not what I want. I want you to do this. And her whole life gets turned totally upside down. Not just you're going to have a child. You're going to have, uh like, <laughs> the child, okay? <laughs> Like, so here's my task. I appreciate you want to be like consecrated virgin for all eternity, but I want you to be the mother of my son who's going to save the world. Okay. <laughs> and so what's her response to that? Her response is, okay, you can do to me whatever you want to do to me. I'm yours. I'm your handmaid. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. I'll be yours for this purpose. I'll discard my plan. Because I want to embrace your plan because I'm confident that doing your will will bring me peace. So some of us came here tonight, we got our own plans. And they might, in fact, be plans that we've discerned because the Lord has led us on that path. Others of us have plans because we're on a path that we thought we want to present this to God. And maybe the Lord's saying, appreciate that. Can we put that aside right now? And will you listen to what I want to say to you? And maybe I've got another plan for you. Some of you might be familiar with this book. It's called Into Your Hands, Father. It's very small. It's perhaps the most challenging book I know to read. It is a a reflection on what, in my mind, is the single most difficult prayer to pray. So I want to pray it right now, and then we'll just talk. So this is the prayer of abandonment from uh, Brother Charles uh, Defoukald. So I'll invite you, however you pray, you know, if you can close your eyes, great. If, If that just seems weird to you, don't do it. But... If you can't, I find it helpful to close my eyes when someone else is praying and talking. Otherwise, I kind of look around and go, there's lights out. (laughs) So as best you can, join me in praying this, even though you can't say it out loud. Because this is what God's asking of us. Not most of us. All of us here tonight. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. For whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all, and I accept all. Let only your will be done in me, as in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, my God. And so need to give myself, to surrender to myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence for you are my father. So what do you want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) I just think the Lord wants to, he just wants to weigh up. He wants to impress on us the seriousness of what he's asking, not to frighten us just to help us know, Hey, I'm asking for big things. I'm going to give you so much more than whatever you give me. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you so much more than whatever you're going to give me. But the prerequisite is you have to give me everything. And if you're breathing right now, that should scare the living daylights out of you. If it doesn't, you did not hear what he just asked for. So it's okay to be afraid. That's why Mary is such a great intercessor for us. Mary's just going, I know I've been there, (laughs) and it's so worth it. Francis Xavier sitting there going, I've been there. It's so worth it. Maximilian Colby dies in Auschwitz. Been there. It's so worth it. All the saints. So no, really, what do you want to talk about? Because I'm done.
2: <laughs> yeah. This is Father Jim. Hi, Father Jim. He says, how do I surrender, abandon, say your will be done daily? <laughs> Holy Spirit's working. Well right. done, Tim. Thanks, Father Jim.
1: Good. Well, that was actually in my talk. All right. So Romans 12, Romans 12, 1. The Lord says to us through Paul, huh? present yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's the answer. So what the heck does that mean? Timothy Keller, some of you might know Timothy Keller. Keller's this awesome preacher in New York City. who has a great sermon on all this, and I find it very helpful myself just to kind of ponder and whatnot. So Keller makes the point of saying, here's the deal. There's ancient Rome. Paul's writing this. People are very familiar with animal sacrifices. So they hear, you know, like, present yourself as living sacrifice, and they have an image on their head. Their image is, okay, somebody, like, takes a lamb or a cow or a bull or whatever. They put it on an altar, and they kill it. All right? So Paul's using that imagery It's literally present yourselves as a living killing to God. So he says, so there's some similarities and some differences between those animal sacrifices and what it is that the Lord's asking us to do. The difference is you put a a bull on the altar and you slit its throat and it's dead. The problem is I keep crawling off the altar (laughs) and I have to every day make a decision to crawl back on. That's how you do this. You deliberately and intentionally... Make a decision to get back on top of the altar every day and say, here I am. I might have blown it yesterday. I might have blown it last night. I might have blown it with my girlfriend. I might have blown it with my boyfriend. I might have blown it at work. I might have blown it however. But that's over now, Lord. I'm back. Here I am. I give you my life. So start again. And you just begin to habitually live that way. Not rotely, but habitually where every day I'm deliberate and intentional about getting on top of the altar, and I just say, Lord, take it all. The similarity between the animal and me is um, something dies. What dies? Here's Keller's answer. I love this answer. What dies is the idea that I have the right to determine how I will live my life. And make no mistake about it. If you and I are going to be disciples of Jesus... That's what he's asking us to do, to say, I will put to death the idea that I, apart from you, can determine how I will live my life. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, it means I'm going to get out of the driver's seat and into the back seat, or maybe into the trunk (laughs) or the luggage rack (laughs) or the trailer behind, and I'm going to let him drive my life. That's how you do it, wherever you are, Father Jim.
3: Here's my question. Sometimes when I'm praying, I feel guilty because I'm praying for something stupid in my life when there's billions of other people out there who have things that need to be prayed for a lot more than I do. And along those same lines, if we are surrendering to God and saying, you can have all of me, you can do whatever you want with me, how can I then go and pray for something that I want if I'm just saying, do whatever you want? Great
1: question. First of all, the fact that you have... We could say prayer intentions that look kind of lame in comparison to, say, the Christians in the Middle East. The Lord doesn't say, hey, you see, like, I'm busy here. Maybe I haven't noticed, but there's some problems over here in Raqqa I need to take care of. I'll get to you when I can. You're, like, way down on the list. God doesn't have call waiting. He can answer everybody all at once. And though in comparison your needs might be trivial, although I would hesitate to say that, quite frankly, in comparison to other people's, they're your problems, and you're his daughter. And he loves you. And he told you, come to me. He told you, knock. He told you, seek. He told you, ask. He didn't say, ask if it's something really important. <laughs> he said, ask. So you ask. I mean, I'm only doing what he told me to do. You said, come to you. I'm going to come to you. He stands in front of the blind man and he says, what would you like me to do for you? The blind man doesn't go, ah, oh, you know, forget it. You got bigger problems than me. You know, like, there's the guy over there who's crippled, you know, take care of him. The blind man goes, uh, I'd really like to see. So the Lord's asking us. There's nothing wrong with asking for what it is we want. We just have to be open to hearing him say no, or not yet, or later, or whatever he might say. So there's nothing wrong with asking. Here's the tension in this. This is, I think, what's behind some of the mentality, the, the headline that goes, God will not fix us. If the people are saying that, think that when we pray, we mean we just pray and we don't have to do anything, well, then they're right. That's an irresponsible action on our part. But God's not asking that. God's asking us to pray like everything depends on him, and he's asking us to act like everything depends on us. So we talk to him. We make it our first point to talk to him, to worship him, to thank him, to ask his help. And then we go out and we respond, however it is that he's asking us to help. So we might be praying for a solution to something, and he says, Great, I've got a solution. You do it. Uh, I was just hoping you, like, wave the magic wand. and not you do that? He's like, No, that's not how it works. I use people. I want you to go to India and preach the gospel. I'm going to stop praying now. <laughs> so we have to avoid the two extremes, you know. And this is not an overly romantic, I'm just going to give my life to God and I don't have to do anything. Like You've got to get up. You've got to get out of bed. You've got to look for a job. You've got to look for a spouse. you know. And as you're doing those things, you'll discern. I mean, like the image for me is always a boat in the water can move all over the lake. The wind can change and it can take it in a different direction. A boat dry docked isn't going anywhere. And a lot of us are dry docked. So we just got to like, get into the lake. We got to start moving in a particular direction and say, Lord, if I'm not going in the right direction, can you blow me another way? If this is not the guy you want me to marry, can you make that abundantly clear? <laughs> but you're going to do that by actually getting into the water and going out on a date. Not by going, can you just send me a, I don't know, like a, a tweet? <laughs> of her name and phone number? <laughs> and can you give her a desire to marry? I mean, like It doesn't work that way. You know, like, you got to do something. So we want to avoid the extremes. That's childish versus childlike. Childlike is trusting. So I will trust the father. But my father's calling me to grow into maturity, and the maturity that he's calling me to grow into is make decisions, learn from the decisions that I make, that sometimes, that was a bad decision. I shouldn't have dated that guy.
3: <laughs> yeah. In high school and early college, I loved the idea of being out literally fighting for our faith. Since getting married, that idea now terrifies me. For those of us out here who aren't really attached to, if you will, earthly things, I don't care about my car, I don't care. I'm now, like, your talk terrified me because now I'm thinking of, like, oh, I could give up everything, but I'm terrified of what you're going to ask. Not you personally, but the Lord, like... (laughs) (laughs) for my husband or my children or my family and that's something that I think I'm scared to give the most so what kind of
1: here's a tough word anything or anyone that I rely on or look to in a way that I can and should only look to for God is an idol so we hear idolatry, and, and we think, gosh, how stupid. Like, you know, someone's going to burn incense to some little statue in their <laughs> living room. I'd never do that. Most of us are idolaters, and many of us are idolaters of people. It could be children. It could be my spouse. It could be my best friend. And um I'm commanded not to have that. What the Lord doesn't want us to do is live in fear. Okay, so the Lord doesn't want us to walk out of here and be terrified. What he wants us to do is to remember that the one who's talking to us is the one who's on the cross who's given everything for us. And the reality is, I don't know what he's going to ask of you, but I know he's going to ask something of you. He already has. When a couple got married years past, they used to be read the exhortation before marriage. It's a a very sober exhortation. In the exhortation, there's a part where it says that future, your future, which you're entering into today as a husband and wife, is hidden from your eyes right now. But you know that like everybody else, it will have both joy and sorrow. Therefore, what you're doing right now shows remarkable faith in the Lord and in each other that you're willing to embark on this journey with the Lord and with one another. That's what God's asking. See, what we want to know is, well, what's around the corner? What about when they become 10? What about when they're teenagers? Where are they going to go to college? What happens if he calls them to religious life? What if I lose a child when a child's young? How am I going to, how, 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 how? Now all of a sudden the focus is on me, and it's not on him. And what's going to happen? I'm going to drown. Oceans is a great song to listen to because of just that. I will keep my eyes above the waves, huh? meaning I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. If I look at the circumstances around me, if I look at what might happen, I'm going to get paralyzed. That's what fear does. It paralyzes people. It's comforting that the most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. It's terrifying and annoying that the most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. (laughs) Because what's that mean? It means I'm always getting afraid, you know? But God's never afraid. And God has you in his hands. And he has your children in his hands. And I think that a takeaway for you, perhaps especially as a mom and other moms, is ask Mary to pray for you for trust. Because, see, we have this image of Mary that's very plastic. And though she is preserved without sin from the moment of her conception, Mary has to learn trust. Jesus had to grow in wisdom. If Jesus had to grow in wisdom, Mary had to learn trust. She wasn't like a pre-made package. She wasn't play acting. Okay, Gabriel comes to me. I guess my plans are out the window. How's Joseph going to buy this one? Like, really, how is my husband going to buy? Don't worry, honey, it's God's child. (laughs) Oh, okay. So if you don't think Mary's a little petrified by that, I don't think we grasp Mary. But Mary trusts, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but I trust you're going to do this, but I don't know how you're going to do it. Mary's got to be anxious. Then, you know, if anybody figures, like, I'm carrying the eternal son of God, for crying out loud, who's going to redeem the world, I don't know, are we going to the Ritz? Are we going to the Fairmont? We're going to say it's some nice. We're going to Bethlehem. What? We're going to a stable? Really? Straw? <laughs> An ox? Great company. I'm going to put him in a what? A trough? Oh, now we've got this madman who wants to kill my son. Like, how about some protection here? Like, you know, I gave you my life, right? So are you going to take care of us or not? So we're we're going to go to where? We're going to move to Egypt. We don't speak Egyptian. (laughs) We don't know anybody there. Where are you going to work? Where are we going to live? Mary's got to trust. They come back. Joseph dies. We know that. We don't know how he dies. We just know he dies. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't give Mary to John. So Mary's got to bury her husband. And now i got to live in a system where a widow has no one. So Joseph's gone. Now I got this kid who, he's not doing anything. You know, like, Gabriel came, said he's going to be the son of the Most High. You know, he's going to have the throne of his father David. His his kingdom will never end. And he's building bookcases. Like, shouldn't you get out there and say a few words or something? And so Mary's got to trust, right? (laughs) Really, like, Mary's got to be sitting there going, uh, son, you're 30. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Like,
1: dude, what... (laughs) Go, you know? It's normal now. It wasn't normal then. (laughs) It's not good, but it's normal now. (laughs) Then he goes, and what happens? Like, you would think, okay, so here he is, the long-awaited anointed one, and all the religious leaders are slandering him, trying to trap him, trying to catch him in lies. Of course, he doesn't tell lies. Mary sees all of this, all along the way Mary has to trust. Then Mary's there at Calvary. So imagine as a mother standing underneath your son's place of execution and his blood is dripping on you. And I have to believe what's going through Mary's mind is that day in Nazareth when Gabriel appeared to her and said, he will be great and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary has to be kneeling there sobbing with her son's blood pouring out on top of her. Saying, how in the world has it come to this? Mary has to trust. She's got to trust when she wraps her son in a shroud and she looks at his face for what she thinks is the last time. She's got to trust when she puts him into the tomb and she closes the stone for the last time and she goes home and tries to figure out what am I going to do with my life? No one can teach you and me how to trust like she can and she's sitting here today interceding for all of us saying don't be afraid he will take care of you in that moment at that hour at that time he will take care of you don't ask him in advance for what might happen don't ask for a glimpse you don't want to see it just trust so don't be afraid why? because God will give you what you need at that moment but not before.
2: Of that, I'm convinced. All right. We are, at the time, out of time. So let's thank Father John one more time. Sorry, guys.
0: On this edition of Christ is the Answer, Father John Ricardo spoke with a group of young adults at their monthly ID 916 meeting. If you'd like to learn more, go to www.id916.com. This has been Crisis the Answer, program number 862. For a CD of this or any of our programs, online go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on Store or order by leaving a voicemail at 734-930-4506. 734-930-4506 for program number 862. ID 916, Mary, the Perfect Disciple. Father John Ricardo is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. Christ is the Answer was originally recorded and edited by Henry Root and is a production of AveMariaRadio.net. Tune in next time when Father John Ricardo addresses a topic of Christian concern from the Catholic perspective. This is Ave Maria Radio.